What's better than this? Guys, me and dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this Thursday episode of the show. This episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. Kyle, Chris, Chris is back in Arizona. Kyle, uh, with his new haircut that everyone can see later tonight on, on the live stream. What's going on, guys? Good morning. It's Thursday. We have a couple days left. I'm, I'm going through a little bit of football for being withdrawal, to be completely honest, because we're so used to like Monday fo- night football and bowl games and Thursday night football and sometimes Wednesday night football with this NFL season. And like we haven't had any for a while now. And I'm ready to see some football on TV and I don't, we're not going to get any for the, the next couple of days either. So this is my, uh, Chris here in the desert. What's it called? Oasis. Is that proper vocabulary usage there? I don't know what you're intending to use that word for, but okay. Yeah. Let's go with it. It's like my, my little in, in the desert. It's that when you, you stumble across the pond or whatever. Nirvana, I think is the word you're looking for. I don't for. know. All right. Forget no, it. I think it's an oasis. An oasis is like a watering hoe. So it's like a, you just, Lord, we're in trouble, aren't we? Well, early, we're off to a great start. Uh, by the way, seven games in, in three days, though. So we have something to look forward to. One Saturday starts seven games in three days. There's three super wild card games on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then the national championship on Monday. Oasis. Now, a fertile spot in the desert where water is found. Yes. Yeah. Well, you this just said, oh, oh, Chris, you're in the desert. Let me use this word and not give you any context. Is it right? I don't know. Joe, we found some worse at vocabulary than you are. It's Kyle, stupid. I knew where you were going with that. I got to be honest. I know what the I, word means. I just you. I needed some context, some proper grammar of how you're using it. Uh, well, I just got done saying there's no football, and this is a football podcast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the opposite of an oasis then, since we don't have what you're looking for? That was what the No, because was. this is the only source of it this week. Oh my goodness! It's great to be back, Levy Grail. Four teams today. Four teams. Uh, final three. four teams. Yeah, the final, final four. Yep, yeah, final four. Three in the AFC, or excuse me, three in the NFC: Cowboys, Giants, Cardinals, and then we also have the Miami Dolphins from the AFC today. So, shall we? Do, does everyone know what the Levy Grail is by now? Do we need to do this? Just give me the one line from the poem again. Give the one line from the yeah. poem is what we're looking for. Yeah, that, that'll uh, give everybody everything they I need. I may be hurt, but I'm not slain. I thought so, you had it. <laughs> no, this is just off the top of my head. All right. So, Sir Andrew Barton, fight on, my men. I am hurt, but I am not slain. I'll lay me down and bleed a while, and then I'll rise and fight again. We have four teams that didn't qualify for the postseason, and it happened on the last week of the regular season. And so while you're not feeling great right now, you're, you're going through your lumps. You got to rise up and fight again. And this was the course, the quote that Marv Levy used to 
inspire the Buffalo Bills after continuing to lose Super Bowl after Super Bowl. So we are going to find optimism here for these four teams that didn't make the postseason. And we're going to start with the Dallas Cowboys. Kyle, that's one of your teams, right, in the NFC East that you you scout and keep track of for us at the Draft Network. So let's just set the tone here for this Cowboys discussion. Sure. So we're looking for sources of optimism as pertaining to each one of these four teams today. When I look at the Dallas Cowboys, uh, your ability to retain Dak Prescott is a bright spot for your franchise because I don't think there's any question, you know, regardless of how many yards Andy Dalton threw for over the final six games of the season or whatever it was, Dak Prescott distance makes the heart grow fonder. And if Dallas Cowboys fans are looking at what their offense looked like this year with Dak versus without Dak, I think they should be very, very ready for Dallas to figure out what the hell this contract is going to look like and get it done so that Dak Prescott can be locked in long-term as the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. So having like that variable where there's no mystery of like, oh, what does the grass on the other side look like with Dak as you've been going through these ongoing quarterback contract negotiations? I think that's a win for Dallas to have that clarity. you still have some really, really talented pieces on different parts of this roster. The offensive line, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, you got to feel great about having those guys being pieces of your puzzle. Tyron Smith is not a long-term piece at this point, but uh, a talented piece and perhaps a piece that you can get a good asset for if you decided to move on from him to find some salary cap relief. Um Wide receiver position is absolutely loaded. I think you'll probably bid farewell to Michael Gallup, but when you lose a receiver like Michael Gallup and you still end up with Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb in your wide receiver room and Dalton Schultz at tight end took a nice step forward this year, I know they they were banking on other players being healthy there. That wasn't the case. Uh, You've got a lot to work with offensively in Dallas. you got to figure out your defense, and uh, you got to figure out your salary cap, and those are not small tasks I think what I really like about just listening to what you were saying and not thinking about what I wanted to bring to the table is that you kind of just know what you have to do and and I think that clarity really helps you got to resign Dak Prescott and you have to get help on defense Uh, you already mentioned it this this offense has some really dynamic components to it with CD Lamb with Amari Cooper with Tony Pollard with Zeke Elliott with a reasonable amount of answers on the offensive line, assuming guys are healthy. And so now it's just a matter of bringing Dak back and, and getting that contract worked out and then figuring out your defense. And, and that really stems to me from figuring out the secondary where you need answers at cornerback, you need answers at safety. Um, so I, I think the fact that we they know what they got to do, now they just have to make great decisions. I think that's very, very helpful. Um, they're continuing with uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh, For a second season, things didn't go great in year one, but he does have a very extensive resume of winning in the NFL. And so um, I think you can go into year two of that with some pretty high expectations for things to turn around. And, you know, this division, I don't think you can look at it right now in 2021 as we kind of really, from a very early part in the process, start forecasting things in 2021. I don't think you can look at this and say, the, the the Dallas Cowboys can't win it next year, right? They're, they're going to be right in it, especially 
if Dak Prescott comes back. I mean, if Dak Prescott is back, you have undoubtedly the best quarterback in the division, and that's going to mean a lot. Yeah, and um, you know, it's it's you look at across the landscape, and and as you would expect for a division that has a seven and nine division champion in the year twenty twenty, uh, there are no unflawed football teams in the NFC East. So as Dallas looks to build out the rest of their roster, you know, let's let's look at what the strengths and weaknesses are of each of the teams that we have to play twice a year, and let's make sure we're well equipped to uh, take advantage of some of those. And then the more success you have in the division, you could you know go four and two in the division, and you win four out of your other 10 games you play, you play sub 500 ball and you have a reasonable chance to win the division based on what the outlook is this year, assuming it's going to be that way next year too. I think another thing I want to mention is that some of that, those defensive players that were young, like Trayvon Diggs and Neville Gallimore, they had their struggles as rookies. They had their flashes as well, but I think it's good that they have some experience now and that you can really look at them and, and say, okay, they've played a season and you can expect more out of them. And so it's not just a matter of finding help from outside to come in and help your defense. Some of these young players just having a season under their belt, they're going to be much better suited to help this defense next season. Shuby, you got anything for us here on Dallas? Well, I, I think to to, both, to something that you guys both said, again, I'm not going to add anything new here, but it, it's some of the teams we've talked about, we've tried to be upbeat, we've tried to be positive and, and paint this rosy picture of how they can get themselves out of it. But it, it takes some inflection points. It takes some decision-making process, right? With the Eagles, it's deciding on the coach, the GM, the quarterback, and making that decision. With Dallas, the decisions are kind of made for them. They just have to execute said decisions, right? And I think that's a different position to find yourselves in. They got to re-sign Dak or put the, put the franchise tag back on him. That's what I would do. But they also have nine draft picks. To, to take a swing at this thing and, and really focus heavy on defense. They were criticized last year for the CD Lamb pick in the first round of why did you get a wide receiver? You signed Amari Cooper. You needed help on the defense. Well, now you got nine picks. You're going to get to take another swing at this thing and really focus on the defense. So it's not like they don't have the resources to fix their problem. And they know what the problem is. It's not that they have to identify said problem. So they're in a pretty decent spot. And again, they finished just short of a division in which Basically, for them, everything went sideways in a hurry. Zeke was bad. Dak got hurt. Their defense struggled. Can it get much worse? Could they bottom out any further than what we saw this year? I don't think so with the talent on this roster. So they just have to execute what, what you guys have been talking about. Now, I will say this. Their their ability to thread the needle with the salary cap is razor thin. So their strategy here is going to have to be pristine because if you're going to try and slot Dak under a second franchise tag uh, and pay him the money that that ensues, which I believe is $38, 37000000 million off the top of my head. Um, they don't have that cap space right now, and they're like not remotely close to having that cap space right now. So they're going to have to clear um, $15, $20, 25000000 million of cap space off the books. And, and how do you do that? Well, do you – restructure contracts that you've already given out, that's a very slippery slope. Do you find and attack players that you can trade and get rid of that can get you underneath that threshold to accommodate Dak? If you do that, you don't have a lot of great options on the roster. 
to do that, to save that are not going to have and carry significant amounts of dead cap money. So for Dallas, I think they're going to have to to walk the tightrope between negotiating certain contracts, getting rid of certain players. Uh, but if they're trying to avoid like a complete teardown, their margin for errors is, is pretty small against the cap. Are we ready for some football? The national championship game in college football is set between Alabama and Ohio State. The NFL regular season is behind us, and playoff football is here. There is only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Maybe you want to put some cash down on your favorite NFL team to cover the spread in the playoffs, or you like uh, Alabama or Ohio State in the national championship game, betonline.ag has the best lines in the business. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, shall we shift our focus to the New York football giants where they've come out and announced that Dave Gettleman's back as general manager, and obviously we're going to go into year two with Joe Judge as the head coach. This team, while the record's not great, they they wound up being a very competitive football team in year one under Joe Judge, and you know it's not like they had a, a lot of big time losses. They they were they were close, and I think that's okay. Um, I think the next step is probably learning how to win and uh, finish games and uh, find ways to make runs in the fourth quarter, those types of things. But uh, the optimism here is on this defense where, I mean, this, this, I guess it's more than a trio, this group of defensive tackles and Leonard Williams, who was just unbelievable this year. Dexter Lawrence was terrific. Dalvin Tomlinson, terrific. BJ Hill, <laughs> terrific. So they have some real dudes up front on this defense and they played really, really well. James Bradbury was exceptional at cornerback for them this season. Uh, Xavier McKinney, the, the rookie from Alabama, once he got healthy, he came in and played really, really well. And so you really have to like what this team has on defense. Logan Ryan came in as a late addition. They've already assigned him to an extension. So sure, they can get better on defense, particularly at edge rusher and maybe a little bit more depth in the secondary, a little bit more depth at linebacker. But from a defensive perspective, like this team is really, really, really strong. Yeah, well, I think that, it helps to play the NFC <laughs> six times, right? Because you got five turnovers in one game against the Washington football team. You got two in the other. So you got seven turnovers this season playing Washington. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, we've seen just how much of struggles they've had. Dallas, um, you know, they held Dallas to 307 the first time they played, the second time or the the last time they played. And the first time they played, Dak Prescott was in the picture for a good portion of the game. Um, Joe, I look at this team, and there were a number of close calls. Uh, their signature marquee win this season was the road win in Seattle. That doesn't happen. Seattle doesn't do that. You know, they don't lose that football game, and yet they they kind of managed to catch Russell Wilson at the right time where he really wasn't humming and firing on all cylinders and the defense did play great. And you mentioned the brick wall that they've got defensively up front. And I think that's, um, that's the identity of this football team. And, and 
that should be where their continued focus is amplifying that and complementing that and getting players to play behind that. I know Blake Martinez had a, a good season this year, but you know, continuing to get versatile off-ball linebackers and Xavier McKinney came back for him midway through the season and, and he had some bright flashes, including a game-winning play at the end of the game against Dallas. So uh, they got defensively some pieces. They have a lot of investments in the offensive line between Will Hernandez and Matt Peart and Andrew Thomas, and uh, they'll get Saquon Barkley back. So that's another uh, point of optimism for them. Uh, I, I think Daniel Jones and his play, uh, you're you're kind of entering into a no-excuses year for Daniel Jones. I, I know that's, you know, for a third-year quarterback, maybe a bit ambitious, but he was pretty limited this year. And you're, you run the risk of not moving on from a mistake in a timely manner just because you invested in a player at a certain spot. And I would hate to see that for the Giants where you could at least get some competition for Daniel Jones. And I, I think if you do that and you let competition kind of start to take hold, you know, if, if you get out of year three and this player's plateaued and you don't get competition for him, uh, then you run the risk of of losing progress as a team. And the Giants with a first-year head coach and Joe Judge and some of the life that they showed, I think 2021 should be a no-excuses year for Daniel Jones to start to pick up his pace of play. And if they don't get it, then I'm not saying you move on from Daniel Jones, but you at least got to bring some competition in here to push him, whether that's an, an underachieving veteran from somewhere else but uh, all of that is still in front of the Giants because of how new into this, uh, this first tenure they are with Joe Judge. So I think those are the things that kind of stand out to me. The hardest decisions lie ahead of them, and they have a very clear identity on who they want their football team to be. I think lasering in on Daniel Jones, they all, it's often said that quarterbacks make, make their biggest jump from year one to year two. And I think you can compare – Daniel Jones rookie season and his second season and say, I'm not sure that he took any jump, right? I think he was about yeah. the same player. And that's probably difficult to expect a, a jump where they had a, a new coaching staff, right? A new offense, Jason Garrett's the offensive coordinator. And it's a really tough situation to, to navigate through when that happens in the off season that we experienced in 2020, where you don't have your normal complement of mini camps and OTAs and the training camp and all a preseason, all that stuff isn't there. So, you, you know, I think there's some level of, okay, yeah, we can, we understand, but it, it is going to be important in, in year three for him to show that he's the guy, right? He's got to have to answer that question. Um, and so I, I, I think you used a word there, Kyle, that I really liked and it's clarity, right? You, you, you got to get clarity on Daniel Jones. And I think that, this stage is going to be set next year for them to find out. And maybe that means being a little bit aggressive, building things around him, maybe adding some more help at wide receiver, maybe some more depth on the offensive line to, to, to really feel good that you've isolated the variable and say, okay, Daniel Jones has everything that he needs to succeed, do it or don't. I got, Chris, one, more, I, I got one more name for you, Joe, before we get hype train in here. Okay. Do you know who the New York Giants 2020 scrimmage leader was? Yards from scrimmage? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be Wayne Gallman? Wayne freaking Gallman. 
I loved Wayne coming out of Clemson. Go ahead. Don't, the ball ain't going to spike itself. Go ahead. No, I'm not going to spike. He's the backup to <laughs> the backup to Saquon Barkley, but he averaged 4.6 yards per carry this year on an offense uh, that that averaged 4.4 as a team, uh, but that was boosted by the 8.2 yards. Uh, that Sterling Shepard averaged across six attempts and the 6.5 Daniel Jones had on 65 attempts. So Gallman was the most productive ball carriers, traditional running back out of the backfield. Uh, Saquon got 19 carries. He had 1.8 yards per carry. It's way too small of a sample size to read anything into. But Wayne Gallman was a player coming out of Clemson that I really liked. This is a jack of all trades, even though he's maybe a master of none. We'd love to see him get a shot. He goes to New York. And then Saquon Barkley's there and you say, okay, well, we'll never see Wayne Gallman ever again. Like he's maybe he'll come on the radar four years when he signs in free agency somewhere else and gets a chance to get a good swing of the bat. But uh, was cool to see him as a player who I really, really liked in the draft process the year that he came out, uh, make the most of an opportunity. He played in 15 games, started 10, 147 carries for 682 yards. And he also caught 21 passes. Uh, for 114 yards, just short of 800 scrimmage yards on the season. 3.6 yards after contact. That's a really good number. One other thing about Wayne Gallman that's really impressive that maybe gets overlooked in this discussion is that this is his fourth year in New York, and I think that means he's he's been like he survived three different coaching staffs. And I think that says a lot, right? Like they yeah. kept this guy along. He really didn't do much his first three, three seasons in the NFL. And then he kind of gets that opportunity in year four with Saquon out, and and he plays really really well. So that's I think that was a was a good player. And he's a is he going to be a, a free agent? I'm sure it's his fourth season. So yeah. So his, his rookie there. season, he had 111 rushes for 476 yards, uh, and then they drafted Saquon in 2018, and then he had 51 rushes in 2018. He had 29 rushes in 2019, and then up to 147 with the injury to Saquon. So. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So whether you're looking for a healthy snack, a breakfast on the go, something post-workout, or just like delicious things, Built Bar can fill the void for you. And best of all, Built Bar doesn't just taste good, it blows the nutritional facts of your typical protein bar out of the water. It's got 200 calories per bar or less. Up to 20 grams of protein per bar, 18 delicious flavors to choose from, and one-seventh the grams of carbs and sugar of your typical protein bar. So if you're looking for a change-up in your diet, visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you can save 20% off your next order of Built Bar. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to save 20% and find out what all the fuss is about for yourself. Shuby, do you have anything on the Giants? Because if not, I personally want you to go first on the Arizona Cardinals, if that's all right with Kyle, because we know you have some takes on Arizona. And with this being uh the optimism show, I, I'd like to I'd like to force you to 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 set the stage there. So I have one quick thing I'll add on the Giants. And by the way, all four of their running backs not named Saquon Barkley are free agents uh, at, at the end of this year. So Deion Lewis, Devonta Freeman, Alfred Morris, Wayne Gallman, all free agents. The thing that I would point to is it really feels like you've got the coach right, right? And I know Kyle's going to give me a smirk because he was unhappy with some of the comments that Joe Judge made earlier in the week. But 
Joe Judge just feels like that worked in year one. And there was a lot of criticism of that hire because when you compare Joe Judge's name to some of the other names that were available in that cycle, it felt like, man, the Giants went way too outside the box here. What are they doing? They went with the special teams coordinator in New England. Yeah, he's with ben Bel he's been with Belichick for a while, but man, that's just a big leap. I don't think Joe Judge was the problem in New York, right? I mean, they just have to fix some other things around him as the coach, but I think they got that right. I've been impressed with what I've seen from him there in New York. So that would be the only thing I would add is I think they got that part right, despite there being a lot of criticism last year. Hey, Shuby. Cardinals. Oh, man. All right. I, I This is going to be tough because I've been extremely critical of this team. I, I've done it this week a couple of times. Your optimism starts and ends with the guy you took number one overall two years ago. It's Kyler Murray, right? The athleticism of Kyler Murray is going to make or break this franchise's next three to five years. It is going to make the career of Cliff Kingsbury in the National Football League. It is going to it's going to answer the question of, is Steve Kime going to be the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals moving forward? It starts and ends with Kyler Murray. And then if you want to branch out and add DeAndre Hopkins, who they now have under contract for the next, I think, three or four years, that's where the conversation starts and ends for me. They have a ton of work to do defensively this offseason. They have to address the Patrick Peterson conversation. They're going to need other wide receivers. They need offensive line help. But if you, were, if you have to you know, parachute in and tell an Arizona Cardinal fan, hey, this is what gives you hope for the future. It is the continuing growth of Kyler Murray because if he doesn't grow, I don't know where else they go from here. So Kyler Murray, what we saw the year one to year two jump in the middle of the year, he was discussed as an MVP candidate. And yes, the season did not end the way that they wanted it to. I point a lot of that to he started to get banged up. They didn't really evolve the game plan very well late in the season. And I think now that he has that, he, he has that on film. He's now gone through it. I think they come back in year three, and he grows from that. Now, they still have things to do, but Kyler Murray is my source of optimism for the Cardinals. I want to keep it on the offense, and, and obviously I think DeAndre Hopkins was sensational for them this year, and he's going to be sensational for them for a long time. But how about this offensive line and how much better it performed this year? I mean, DJ Humphreys was exceptional at left tackle. Uh, Justin Pugh was finally healthy. Mason Cole looks like he's going to be a starter for them. Calvin Beecham played well at right tackle. And, you know, they kind of mixed in just J.R. Sweezy and Justin Murray at right guard. They had some injuries there. But that group collectively played really, really well. And especially when it comes to not allowing Kyler Murray to face as much pressure. I think part of that was Kyler and him becoming a better processor and not trying to do too much like he did late in the season last year. But I was really concerned about this offensive line entering the season, and I don't share that same concern coming out of it. So you got to feel good about this O line and and obviously what they have in DeAndre Hopkins. And defensively, they they you know look they've they've got a lot of work to do on defense. And um, with that said, I mean, how about Hassan Reddick this year in the season that he put together? I mean, teetering on bus status, they finally just let him rush the passer and he responds with double digit sacks and, uh, and and plays really really well, but. A lot more work to do on defense, which, again, I think it's always good to to understand that you have a clear path on what you need to do. But um, I worry that this team's going to be handcuffed as long as Cliff's the the head coach. Um, but I think that they they took a step forward this year, although it didn't result in a in a postseason uh, berth. They have the kind of pieces that can transcend bad coaching in spurts, right? When you take into account Kyler Murray and his ability to create plays. 
They have explosive skill players to to create plays. Uh, they have some versatility. They'll get Chandler Jones back as a pass rusher. I think that'll help the, the cause defensively quite a bit. And uh, I'd venture to guess we've probably seen the last of Pat Pete in Arizona, but yeah. um, you know th- they still have some versatility and they, they need to build around that versatility and see what kind of jump Isaiah Simmons can make. So there's no shortage of like optimism from a talent perspective in Arizona. And if everything clicks, if you draw the right schedule, you know, you play the right kinds of teams in any given year, you can see yourself be advantageous of, 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 easier schedule from a strength of schedule perspective when you have talented players, regardless of the coaching in hand. And uh, I, I think Arizona is one of those teams that you know, in any given year could probably come out and win 10 games. Uh, I think that's probably close to their ceiling right now, uh, but they're competitive. They should expect to continue to be competitive in the NFC West. And uh, if they nail this off season, then let's see where the ceiling takes us from there. I have a hard question to ask, and I'm curious with your what you guys have to say about this. I think we all agree that Cliff Kingsbury holds back this football team. Is it can it simultaneously be true that Cliff Kingsbury also gets the most out of Kyler Murray? Would you worry about Kyler Murray in a different offense? I know he got better this year. I think he's a better player. But I still think that it's fair to question some of his field vision and the throws that he doesn't make sometimes. So uh, is is Kyler a guy that is going to succeed with a different head coach? Uh, my pause there was because I was debating this internally and my brain is fried at the question you just asked. I, I guess I'm going to answer your question with a question. Oh, I love this game. Show me an example of something that Cliff has done to put Kyler in situations to succeed, right? Like, tell me how Cliff has masked some of the issues that Kyler has. I don't, I don't feel as somebody, and again, this is this is close to home. This is bias for me, who watches this team on a regular basis. So maybe I'm too much in the forest. I don't see it. Like, I don't see plays where I go, man, Cliff really set up Kyler there. Like, they, I mean, just look at the last game then the season, just as one example. Kyler comes back in after the debacle of his injury and sitting on the sidelines and comes back in in the fourth quarter. And then late in the game, Cliff Kingsbury decides to look down at his play sheet and go, yeah, we're just going to continue to run RPOs with our quarterback who's on one leg. Like, he, he doesn't give Kyler great plays. He doesn't put him in positions to, you know, avoid bad situations. So I, I don't know. I don't – I. I think at this point of Kyler's career, entering year three, you could put him with another offensive-minded head coach, and I don't think there would be a huge loss. I need to know what what coach that would be, Joe, for me. Like, give, give me an alternative system. Give me an alternative candidate. Well, maybe answering Chris's question could help us here because I don't think I can say, okay, this play specifically is something that, uh, Cliff did that helped Kyler, but I will say the concept of his offense is spread offense with 10 personnel, 11 personnel that helps Kyler be able to, uh, have more space to work with the fact that he does do a lot of RPOs, which I think is very necessary for Kyler Murray to, to 
produce like he's you know up to his, his expectations. So I do think that the spread offense and an RPO heavy offense and a play action heavy offense is exactly what Kyler Murray needs. Um, and, and so I do think that as long as the the next play caller, head coach, whatever, does feature those things, Kyler will will be okay. But I do think that he is in somewhat of an ideal offense conceptually for him to to perform at his best yeah i think i think the spread with you know selective air raid concepts and kind of an a la carte of rpos i think it's the best kind of environment but i'll say this for cliff the play caller he's really streaky like and it's like there's times where he's got an opposing team on their heels and they're humming offensively, and you're like, man, like, I don't know how you stop this offense. And then, like, they stop themselves. So that, for me, is like, you know, I, I think the the core principles in which they are using in Arizona are the optimal core principles for Kyler Murray, but that even the, extending beyond that, Cliff Kingsbury uh, – could be improved upon as a play caller at times with his lack of feel for the game in critical situations. This team had the number one pick in the 2019 NFL draft. They go five, 10 and one the the year after they earn the number one pick mm-hmm. and they go eight and eight. I mean, we've had incremental growth here. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think 2021 is important. Like I think this team needs to be a playoff team but there has been incremental growth and and um I don't think we've seen enough to say yeah Cliff's got to go even though I would have never got us to this point but I think that the fact that there has been incremental growth that they do have a talented quarterback in Kyler Murray that can do a lot of very dynamic things with an improved offensive line DeAndre Hopkins you you, you got to figure out your running back situation you got to get better on defense but all that said you were 8 and 8 you were in it until week 17 and now it's you know I think it is make or break in 2021. If this, because if it doesn't happen in 2021, then I don't think it's going to happen. That's what I would say about the trajectory of this team. So this was tied for uh, the best record the Cardinals have had in Chris six years. Wow. Yeah, it was 13 and three. Was the made the playoffs in 2015? I think is is, the, is their is their best season uh, before this one. Yeah, and 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 Joe, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to throw water on everything you just said because we're trying to be positive here. But I think eight and eight, nine and seven is kind of the ceiling for this team when you look at the way the schedule broke for them this year. And when that's you what we get- we agreed preseason, we our TDN scouting discussion, we went through this, and that's exactly what we said. We think this team is eight and eight, nine and seven if if everything goes right. And 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 the part of everything going right was the team behind you in the division completely had an injury bug that took out all of their talented players or most of their talented players, right? In the same brand. So, like, Seattle and L.A. aren't going anywhere. And San Francisco is not going to be as bad as they were last year. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to be positive about, but you have to bridge the gap between those teams and yourself. And I think the hurdle to that is Cliff, right? And that's why my optimism isn't necessarily on the Cliff side, but on, like, what Kyle said is that Kyler's talent, Kyler's Kyler's athleticism, might be able to get them out of jams that Cliff puts them in. So just kind of reviewing their season. They start five and two. Uh, They get to six and six. They win two in a row to get to eight and six, and then they lose their final two, including one to a completely broken down San Francisco team. Um, You know, we were talking about, I had mentioned 10 and six 
you know, you get hot. You know, you guys have mentioned nine and seven. Uh, the Detroit game week three looms as a very ugly loss for this team. Uh, the week nine loss to Miami it was a very ugly loss when you consider how dominant Kyler was in that game. But from a law of averages perspective, they beat Buffalo in a game that they had no business winning with the, the Kyler Murray Hail Mary. Um, I, I know the second time that they played the – was it the Rams – they lost by 10. The first time they played, they lost by uh, seven. Is that right? Where's the second Rams? Oh, no. The first time they played the Rams, they lost by 10. And they were out on top of that game by like two scores early, too. Were they not, Chris? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly that game. The Ram- McVay owns them. Like, McVay just has their number. Uh, he's like 8-0 in, the, in his four years in, in L.A. So, just not a matchup for them. I, I think the, the other big thing is the two Seattle games. Right, they win the close Seattle game in overtime that they probably shouldn't have been in. Remember, that's the game they go to overtime. Yep. The missed kicks uh, abound. It was just a, it was a mess. And then they go up to Seattle on Thursday night, and the final score of that game, you know, it, it shows it's like a one score game, but penalties and just a big just a big mess offensively for them. They weren't really in that game until late, so they just they just struggle in the division, right? And that's always going to be a, a tough thing. You have to play well in your division and these coaches just have Cliff's number. And, and that's kind of the thing that would hold me back from saying this team's going to be able to make a jump from just like they did last year from five wins to eight wins to go from eight wins to double-digit wins and, and and be in the playoffs. That's the tough thing for me trying to make that leap. They held New England to 16 first downs, 179 yards of offense, and had two turnovers and lost that game 20 to 17. Well, guys, <laughs> I think we, we had a hard time there, didn't we? Really just lasering well, in on the No, it's, I think the coaching <laughs> dynamic is important. The, the optimism for Arizona is in the talent that you have. Yeah. The cause for concern is with the coaching and the consistency on defense. All right. Miami Dolphins time here. Um, you you want to go first, Kyle, or you want me to say nice things about Miami? You, you've won 10 games in the second year of a rebuild, and you have the third overall pick. There you go. There's your optimism. And you have a reasonable amount of cap space. You, you not only have the third overall pick, you have 18 and two second-round picks as well. So the draft capital continues to be there. 36 for- and 50. Yeah, for Chris Gear. So four top fifty picks, including thirty and three and eighteen. So uh, more young talent is coming to this roster. Seventh most cap space out of any team in the National Football League, where cap space is probably the best asset you can have right now. I think uh, above draft picks, right? I mean, the cap's going to come down almost twelve percent this year. So to have to be one of the teams that even with that decrease gets to look down at their roster and say, "Oh, we can go add talent and and still have draft picks and have all this stuff." I mean, I I know the goal, obviously, with the way the season went, was to make the playoffs. But I, I, Kyle, I know you kind of said it tongue in cheek, but you, you went ten and six. You're picking twice in the top twenty. You have all this cap space. Like, there's no reason that this team can't get even better. Defensively, uh, top five scoring defense in the league. I think their special teams are elite. Um, it just comes back to this offense, and I think. Man, I, 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 I'm a big separate reasons from excuses, but man, I have some reasons here. Uh, three rookie offensive linemen. I've said it before the, the running back depth. I mean, you're, you're talking about undrafted players coming in and having to be the lead guy. 
uh, for most of the year. You thought that you thought Jordan Howard and Matt Burita was going to be the duo, it's, and it wound up being like Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed. Uh, wide receiver, you have Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson opt out of the season. Preston Williams basically out for the whole year. Devontae Parker battles a hamstring all year, and and then Jakeem Grant had an injury late and um, had some inconsistency as well. So, I mean, like, you you don't have the pieces you thought you were going to have for this offense, um, and I think that's a tough ask for a rookie quarterback in Tua Tungvaluwa who wound up having a pretty good record as the team starting quarterback. I know that wins aren't a quarterback stack, stat, but he was able to come in and um, – you know, I not completely let the ship crumble and they were in it until week 17. And so I think you have to get better skill players um, to give to a chance. But, uh, you know, I think that you have the resources to add those skill players this offseason and, and really make it a better stage for Tua to come in and, and, and prove that he can be the quarterback for this team. So I had a revelation with the departure of Chan Gailey. That's been the big the big thing in Miami this week was you know somebody with a fake Schefter account put out a tweet saying that the Gailey was released of his duties and ESPN picked up on it ran a story on it and then it was like oh never mind that person's handle is at Tua needs help uh, he they they Dolphins fans are just so tired of Chan Gailey he become became kind of the 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 pinata who took all the blame for everything that was wrong with Miami offensively. Never mind the fact that Joe, as you said, skill players stunk. The skill players outside of Mike Gusecki and Devonte Parker, but only when Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing quarterback, Devonte Parker, like the skill players stunk. There is not a single player on the dolphins depth chart in the skill players that I would point to aside of Mike Gusecki that I would want in the same role in 2021 than that, what they were in in 2020. Devontae Parker should not be your wide receiver one. He had an amazing season in 2019 in the contract year. The Miami Dolphins played four must-win football games down the stretch. Devontae Parker went out of the, the second half against Kansas City, and then he missed the next two games, and he magically comes back and needs seven catches for 63 yards to get a $750,000 bonus on the season, and he puts up 100 yards. Mm. So. You know, if you can't play through the must-win games and the Dolphins are out there with Mac Hollins and Lynn Bowden Jr. and Malcolm Perry as their three wide receivers to play the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 16 in a win-or-go-home scenario, like, I'm not putting my eggs in that basket anymore. I'm sorry, I'm not. But with the whole way that the Chan Gailey thing played out where Fitz was the incumbent and Chan gets hired and then they draft Tua and Fitz starts the season – and then they make the quarterback change. And then there's the back and forth between the quarterbacks. And then the Dolphins come out and they give the vote of confidence to Itongvalo is going to be our starting quarterback uh, moving forward. And Shane Gailey resigns. It almost felt like this was like always going to be a one-year thing. And it almost felt like the expectation was Tua was going to redshirt the season. Because the skill players, like you said, Joe, they don't fit anything that Tua Tungvaloa does well. You know, they're receivers that win in tight windows, in contested spaces. They don't separate. They don't win at the line of scrimmage. Everything that they win comes at the top of the route stems, or you have to throw it away from a leverage defender who's on the body of the receiver at the time of the throw. Asking a quarterback who, Tungvaloa had, I think, the fourth highest frequency and occurrence of aggressive throws in the NFL this year, 
But that was out of necessity because nobody was open. And you transplant that from what he played in at Alabama, where you have a bunch of receivers that won early on. And it almost, it, it kind of struck me after Chan resigned that it was like, wow, like, did they really at the beginning of the season just not expect Tua to play? And this was going to be a Fitz year all the way through because there was a different dynamic of, of certainly a little bit of a lack of trust. It felt like they had training wheels on Tua at times in the passing offense and they were hesitant to, know, to go tempo and no huddle. And uh, they called some concepts down the field and Tua really didn't see them that well. Uh, but I think that was more so a, a trust and chemistry with the pass catchers in place. But I'll, uh, I'll again say this. Uh, I would rather you invest in the offensive line and the quarterback and then wait a year to see how your quarterback plays before you spend a bunch of money and spend a bunch of draft picks to invest in skill players to surround them with so that you know what kinds of those players you need to bring onto the roster to accentuate his strengths. Because if you went out and you traded for you know, somebody at the trade deadline who's another possession receiver, right? Or, or if you got... T Higgins in the early second round and you, you drafted that guy high. Those guys really aren't going to help Tua. Tua needs guys who win early at the line of scrimmage and create clear separation. So this Miami receiving room needs to be dramatically different. And every single spot on the depth chart needs to have a different player occupying it. I'm not advocating for Preston Williams to be back at all. I think he's an easily upgradable player. He struggles with drops. Jakeem Grant, if he's doing anything other than returning kicks next year, it's a failure from the Dolphins' perspective to bring in a speed dynamic because he he's five foot seven and his catch radius is that of a five foot seven football player. And anything that's not directly on the numbers, he can't catch. So, yeah, I, I have a lot to say about the Dolphins' skill players, but they're a young team, the second youngest roster in the NFL. They won ten games. You have the right head coach in place. Uh, I think they ran out of gas. Week 17, they played, as I said, three consecutive must-win games. Uh, they lost to Kansas City. Uh, they beat New England in a rivalry game. They had the miracle win against Las Vegas. And then they go to Buffalo, and I, I think they were just out of gas. And I, I think Buffalo did a nice job kind of uh, jumping on them early in the second quarter. And, you know, Joe, you mentioned their special teams. Because of a lot of the injuries they had, their, their core special teams players, they were missing a couple guys on the coverage units. And some of their other guys were playing permanent offensive roles on the special team or instead of being just special teamers and you had players that were lower on the depth chart taking the special teams reps. So kind of a toxic end of season where I thought they kind of ran at ammunition and it just kind of built to a head with all of the urgency that they had to play in the month of December to try and make the playoff push. Have you had enough time to put in any thought about the offensive coordinator you hope Miami brings in? So I did. I looked at a lot of the candidates yesterday on Locked On Dolphins. And if the chemistry component is right, I think Bill O'Brien, ironically enough, would be an excellent hire from an X's and O's perspective. I'm not interested in bringing in Bill O'Brien if – he's going to bring the reputation that he built with him in Houston as far as how he was to work with and, and his presence in, in, in that culture in Houston. I'm not interested in that. But from an X's and O's perspective, he's worked with Brian Flores in the past. He has play calling experience. He has head coaching experience. Brian Flores likes to delegate the offensive side of the football to whoever his offensive coordinator is. 
he did wonderful RPO concepts with Deshaun Watson. And I think RPO concepts should continue to be a staple of Tua Tungabailoa. Uh, they need more vertical concepts to attack the ball down the field. Uh, that's some of that's personnel. Um, so a humbled Bill O'Brien is at the top of my list. I think he'd be a great addition. I wouldn't be surprised if they stay in-house and it's George Godsey, who's the tight end coach, uh, who when quarterbacks coach Robbie Brown had COVID and missed time, uh, Godsey was the one who worked with um, Tua for the Arizona game on the sideline. And from that point on, despite the fact that he was a tight ends coach, he was working with Tua on the sideline during games uh, for the remainder of the season. So there's a little bit of a chemistry thing there. He was also a former offensive coordinator. He did that at Houston before Deshaun Watson showed up. Um, I think it has to be somebody with previous experience as a play caller. Uh, and ideally, it's somebody who has experience uh, in, in a leadership role as well. So whether that's Anthony Lynn, uh, Pep Hamilton's one that I would not mind at all. I'd uh, be really interested. So there, there's some good candidates out there. Um, but you, I, I put the feeler out for Dolphins fans yesterday. I said, okay, who's who's your choice for offense? Three hundred responses to that, man. I tried yeah. to read some of it, and I'm like, uh, I don't have, I don't have the rest of my life to read. Yeah, it. it's it's it, you're not going to hire a college head coach to come be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. It's not going to happen, right? You're not you're not going to hire somebody who has no experience with coaching, like a, a Brian Fitzpatrick was a popular choice. Okay. And, <laughs> Dan Marino can be the, the oh, OC. Right? We got some Dan Orlovsky. We got some. Oh, no. Tony, we got some Tony Romo. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's got to be somebody with experience for Brian Flores. I think Bill O'Brien, if he's in the right frame of mind to to work the job, I think would be my top choice. Well, I, I mean, the team is it fair to say they overachieved for two seasons? They have overachieved my expectations. Yes, I picked them to go three and thirteen in twenty fifteen or in twenty nineteen, and I picked them to go nine and seven uh, this past year. So they have exceeded my expectations as a optimistic Dolphins resource for two consecutive years. You'd never think we we just talked about a ten and six football team that had. I mean, what percentage of that roster flipped over this off season? Like, uh, it was fifty percent, and the year prior to that was over sixty percent. All right, so th so we have that, and uh, new offense and defensive coordinator this year. I mean, the fact that they were able to have the season that they did under these circumstances, um, I think, says so much about what they have in Brian Flores, who. Um, continues to prove himself as one of the, the emerging star coaches in the NFL. So um, I, I mean, now, now it's like, okay, now you're coming out of a 10 and six season, right? So now there's like, there's expectations, I think right. for, for sure next year, but I don't know. I, I sort of feel good about them meeting that and, and getting these skill players and, and getting a, a system in place offensively that um, can accentuate Tua maybe even better than Chan. And, um, you know, I think, I think just Tua going into next season as the guy, right. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be back, you know, hopefully they have a normal off season so he can really get himself entrenched and, and get the chemistry and timing down with his receivers. I, I think, I think that they're primed in position to, you know, be right in it again next year and, and be in the postseason. I'd like to just leave this final thought before we open the shoey. Um, all of the gripes about offensively what the Dolphins look like this year. Uh, this was the fourth time in franchise history they scored 400 points in a season. 
1984, 1985, 1986, 2020. Those are the only times he scored 400-plus points. So for all of the maligned uh, outlooks on the Dolphins offensively, mm-hmm. three starters on the offensive line that are rookies, more than half a season with a rookie quarterback starting, bad skill players, and you scored 400 points for the first time since before I was born. Like, like the way it's trending. Right. Like exactly. it's, trending. it's a fair fair way to put it. Should be any uh any additional praise here or optimism to add for the I uh, can't add anything that uh, that Kyle hasn't already said. But guys, it's, it's, we're wrapping up the show. Overall thoughts. This is the end of the Levy Grill. The, you know, r- ways to improve for next year. Well, what what do we think? Year one of the Levy Grill. I I think just kind of reflecting on it. I found it harder as we got deeper into it, to be honest with you, because you have these teams that are like six and 10, seven and nine, eight and eight. And it's like, you feel like they're right. They're right on the brink of having to, to say, yeah, what we got going, what we got going is not going to work. Right. Like we're up against it. It's, it's shit or get off the pot. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast, but I did. Uh, so I think that's really what it comes down for me is is it was it was easier it was easier when we were talking about teams that won like three games to be honest with you. I uh, I enjoyed this thoroughly, looking at the the rosy side of things because that's it's fun to put yourself in the fans' headspace too, right? Like I remember somebody in premium Slack telling me before the season started that the Jets were the most improved team in the AFC yep. East, and it's like okay, like. How do you get there? So, Can you pick that person out of the premium slack now for, for a comment? I have not heard from that person in a very long time. Okay. <laughs> but um, I I enjoy trying to put myself in the headspace of the fans to kind of get there and then steer it from there and say, okay, let, let's root this in how we kind of view your team and uh, kind of meet in the middle a little bit. So I've enjoyed that that exercise. Yeah, this has been fun. This has been a fun. I, I think what this is really going to be cool to to kind of do is is a look back, right? When when we're previewing the season coming up, like how much has changed from when we kind of did this post mortem for all these teams and what they've done between now and like preseason starting to maybe change how we feel about them going forward. So that'll be a cool little look back. But this has been fun. It's allowed us to read a poem from like the 1800s, which is you know not every day you get to do that on a podcast. So. Uh, it has been it has been a lot of fun, but there's more fun to be had, Kyle. There's more fun to be had tonight. Yeah, we're uh, we're going live uh, on YouTube, the Draft Network, seven thirty. Uh, Going to be doing. Would you rather? Is there anything else on the docket, guys? I'm forgetting about. If you got takes, right? Because we didn't do. We didn't yeah, do we'll we'll take the, take the, well. the round table. So you just throw whatever you want at us. We'll answer it. Right, just word vomit in our direction. Maybe we can go back through some of the teams uh, for our preseason predictions Ooh. as well. We got to do that next week. We got to do like a whole – that's got to be a pod. Do a whole thing. Do you have it? Do you have so, the screenshot? Are, are we using um, the draft dude's prediction or the TDN with our whole scouting department prediction? We can deliberate over that. Yeah, because I th- I think there's there's would be merits to both based on the accuracy <laughs> of what happens. So right. um, we'll have those in discussions internally and and make that decision for next week. But that's another thing that we have coming up to look forward to. So tonight seven thirty. If you miss it, it's on the podcast feed tomorrow. Uh, 